0: We will not be in Romans this morning, we will be in Isaiah chapter 53. If you want to be finding Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. It's Jesus that holds all things together. It's Jesus who is the king, the rightful king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is all of these things, but he didn't seem like it. And that's what we're going to see in Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3, just three verses this morning. We're going to see that Jesus was sort of an unlikely messiah in essence and in appearance and in effect. And I pray that as we read these verses and meditate on them together, that we will see Jesus again, newly, freshly. We'll see him for who he is. Now, remember before we read these these verses, before I ask you to stand, the book of Isaiah is a prophecy. Isaiah was a prophet. That means that God spoke through him to his people, He recorded uh, his vision here in this book, Isaiah. It's a beautiful book. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read it. He wrote all this about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. And in this book, he has detailed prophecy about the Messiah that Jesus fulfills. So 700 years prior, that would be like someone in the 1300s writing accurately about Barack Obama and his administration. And then we seeing that it's, they were right 700 years ago. That would be like someone today writing about someone who isn't going to even be born until the year 2700 and being right. So what we hold in our hand is a miracle. It's God's word. So let's stand and honor it as such, if you can. Please stand and we'll read. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah wrote, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And we're so grateful that we have God's word. You may sit down. Thank you. So Jesus is the Messiah, but he didn't seem like the Messiah. He was an unlikely Messiah. In essence, appearance and effect. So first, let's look at how he was unlikely in essence in the uh, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, referring to Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. A young plant and a root out of dry ground. Any gardeners in here, folks that have a green thumb, work with plants? Well, not a single one. Well, that's okay. You've maybe seen it on TV. No, you don't watch TV either. A young plant and a root out of dry ground is fragile and vulnerable. Some of you may know that the p- church parsonage in which I live with my family was built on an old gold mine. Uh, an old gold mine, not mined, mine. When Isaiah, fa- when Isaiah, I'm sorry, I don't know where my brain is this morning. When Elias, it's bad when you forget your own son's name in this sermon. When Elias found that out, he started digging. Mm. So being built on an old gold mine uh, apparently makes your soil very rocky. And it's basically clay and rock. Every time it rains, we have a new harvest of rocks that are revealed uh, for the mower to hit or for me to go pick up and throw out in the woods. It's not a likely ground for grass to grow. But last year, we made a valiant attempt at getting a green, grassy backyard. And we're doing it this year, too. And so we did all the stuff that, that I know how to do. My, my neighbor, Richard Russell, that many of you know, helped me. We aerated and we... Limed and we fertilized and we planted and we watered and we waited and we prayed. Seriously, prayed. And weeks went by with nothing happening. And then, you know, we'd look out the window every morning and we'd look at it every morning. And eventually, out of that dry, cracky ground, little lime green, delicate sprouts of grass grass began to come up. It was beautiful, and and over time, more and more of them came up, and it just seemed—it was so fragile. We didn't want to walk on it. We barely wanted to look at it. We were afraid that it would die. Every time the sun came out, we wanted to run out with, like, umbrellas and try to shield it. And it it lasted most of the summer, but that—picture those those blades of delicate, fragile, vulnerable, green grass out of that dry, cracked ground— That sort of vulnerability and fragility is what Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah. He will be like a young plant, like a dry ground root. I don't know if that's the picture of Jesus you usually have in your mind. It helps to remember the whole gospel story to understand just how unlikely, in essence, Jesus was to be the Messiah. Do you remember the whole gospel story? If you were in Lee Jones' position, you had the, the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Could you explain it all from start to finish? I'll sort of do it for you right now, just as a reminder, going all the way back to the beginning. And hopefully this will show just how unlikely Jesus was. So God, it all begins with God. He exists, nothing else does. He speaks and creation is created. He creates everything with the word of his mouth. And then he creates man out of the, the dirt of the ground, woman out of the rib of man. He creates man and woman in his own image. Their whole purpose of existence being to know God, to love God, to worship and glorify God. He gives man free choice because free worship is infinitely greater than robotic or mechanical worship. This is why the love of your friends or your spouses or your children is way more valuable than the the mechanical response of your toaster. Free worship is true worship. So he gives mankind freedom of choice. Now, as you know, if you grew up in Sunday school, Adam and Eve chose poorly. They chose not to worship God, but to try to be like gods by eating from that fruit of the tree, which was supposed to give them knowledge of good and evil. When they made that choice, it unleashed sin into the world. It wrecked everything. So from that point on, all of mankind was born in to sin. Because Adam was the head of that covenant of mankind. So we're all just born into the mess together. You were born sinful. I was born sinful. We're born that way. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish with his toys. We're born messed up. Because of the choice of our very first ancestors. It also messed up all of creation. That's why we have natural disasters. And that's why we have global warming. And if we have global warming, we may not all be in agreement on that. It's a huge cosmic mess. Okay? Sin didn't just make life hard and mess things up. It separated us from God. Because God is holy. Which means he's perfect. He's clean. He's pure. So he can't just swoop us up into his presence while we're filthy with sin without compromising his purity. He's just. Sin must be punished. He can't just forgive it. What kind of judge would just forgive a murderer? A bad judge. God isn't a bad judge. He's a good judge. But he loves us at the same time. So he has his justice and he has his love. And they're both pure and they're both holy and perfect. So how... If you were God, okay, this is dangerous to even hypothesize about this, but if you were God, how would you solve this problem? God's plan from eternity past was to come in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that no human being had ever lived and to die to pay for our sins. His justice is upheld payment has been made, and everyone who enters into the new covenant with Jesus Christ receives forgiveness, receives the benefit of Jesus's payment for the sins, okay? So now let's say you're God, and you, from eternity past, this was your plan. Jesus was the plan, and and you were going to be glorified more than ever because you would be displaying your mercy, you would be displaying your holiness, you would be displaying your justice, you would be displaying your love, all in the person of Jesus Christ. How would you send Jesus Christ? Would you do it like in the Terminator? You know, in the Terminator, if you've ever seen that, I know probably one of you has, Arnold Schwarzenegger has to go back in time to save the day. Okay, when when he is beamed back in time, he shows up, Adult Arnold Schwarzenegger, already incredibly strong, ready to save the day. Would you just beam Jesus already, adult Jesus, 30 years old, ready to teach, proclaim the kingdom, save the day? That's not the way God went about it. God sent Jesus as a baby in the womb of a young girl in a small rural town while The government was putting babies to death. You can't get any more vulnerable than that. Any of you women who have been pregnant, you know how vulnerable you feel your baby is inside of you. Every weird feeling sets you on edge. Something may not be right with the baby because it's delicate. And Jesus came like a young plant, like a dry ground root. A baby born to a virgin in a small rural town while the government was killing babies. It's just unlikely. It's not the way you would expect the Messiah, capital T, capital M, to come. But that's Jesus Christ. He was unlikely in in essence. He was unlikely in in appearance too. Look at the second half of verse two. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He had no form or majesty that we would want to look at him. If he were in a crowded room, and you walked in and scanned it, your eyes would not stop on Jesus. He had no form or majesty, form or majesty that your eyes would stop, and you'd say, "Who is that man?" He, if he lived today, he would not be on the cover of Men's Health magazine. People Magazine would not even consider him in their list of sexiest people. He was not some gorgeous celebrity. He had no form, no majesty that anyone would care to look at him. Did you see the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie? Some people did see that. Good. Do you remember the actor who played Jesus? His name was Jim Caviezel, or Cavazel, or something. Do you remember the way his eyes looked? In the movie, they went in with computer animation and made his eyes sort of glow just enough just to make them seem otherworldly. I don't think Jesus's eyes glowed. I don't think that you would look at him and see something that would put you in a trance, something that would make you think, this looks like the kind of person I need to follow. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we would desire him. He was unlikely in appearance. Jesus' movement, Christianity, did not take root because Jesus was so attractive. It took root because it's true, it's the only explanation. And this may seem like a weird thing to bring up on Palm Sunday, what Jesus looked like, that he wasn't handsome and didn't have glowing eyes. But I think it's important for us because in our culture, that's what the people care about. The people that we look up to, the people we follow are the beautiful people, the attractive people. They're the ones that we praise and worship when they come down the red carpet. I mean, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, it was almost like a celebrity coming down the red carpet. They didn't have... Uh, cameras to take flash photography, they had palm branches to wave and lay down in front of them. You know, they said of George Washington, of course he was going to be the first president because he was the tallest person in the room. And people just expect tall people to be leaders. Jesus probably wasn't the tallest person in the room. He was unlikely in appearance. He was unlikely in essence, unlikely in appearance And he was unlikely in the effect that he had on people. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Most people in Jesus' day while he lived despised him and rejected him and esteemed him not. If we were beamed back there and were Christians, we would be in the minority. You remember when Jesus was on tr- on trial and uh, Pilate brought him out? He didn't want to crucify him because he really hadn't done anything wrong. And he said, okay, I'll release one of these two prisoners, Jesus and Barabbas, who was a terrible person, the same crowd that had just been shouting, Hosanna, it's it's our Messiah, said, Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Most people rejected Jesus while he was on earth. His whole mission, his whole time on earth seemed like a covert operation. He was not trying to amass celebrity following. He had 12 guys. Among those 12, he had three. And that's who he poured into. Whenever the crowds would get big because they would hear about his miracles, he would disperse them by saying weird things like, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. And he wouldn't explain it. So people would say, never mind. When he would heal people, he'd say, don't tell anybody about this. It's like he was on some sort of covert mission. He had some objective that he was going to accomplish and he was not interested in gaining a big celebrity following he spoke in parables and didn't explain them except to his inner circle why would he do that i I remember wrestling with that back in bible college why would he do that did he not want as many people as possible to recognize who he is and follow him it seems like he didn't back then Christianity did not take root because of Jesus' strength of leadership. You see leadership books out now, you know, leadership principles from Jesus. I don't think he intended to teach leadership principles. Christianity didn't take root because of that. It didn't take root because of his majestic appearance. It didn't take root because of uh, the attractive effect that he had on people around him. It could have only taken root if he truly was the Messiah. This has implications for the way we look at ourselves as Christians today and the way we do church today. Christianity today, if we're following this Christ, isn't about strength of leadership. It isn't about majestic appearances and it isn't about uh, attractive effect that we can have on people. It's about something else. Jesus was clearly about something else. And I'm going to read to you the passage that comes next, the one that we're going to meditate on this Friday and somewhat next Sunday. I'm going to read to you verses 4 and on until I feel like stopping. I want you to see that Christianity is not about strength of leadership. It's not about attractiveness of effect on people. It's not about um, majesticness of appearance. Jesus was about something different. Let me read to you starting at verse 4. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what Christianity is about. It's about grieving, sorrowful, wounded people weighed down by the weight of their own transgressions and iniquities, allowing Jesus to bear and carry it all, allowing Jesus to be smitten and afflicted and pierced and crushed and chastised and wounded in our place. This Christianity will never be fashionable. It will never be cool. It will never be marketable. But for those who see themselves as Grieving and sorrowful and weighed down by their own sins. It will be life. That Palm Sunday crowd, they were so thrilled to see Jesus coming. Hosanna! Savior! Salvation! And they thought they were going to be swept into this grand movement behind this charismatic leader who was going to save the day in an an almost military fashion. And they were wrong. They were worshiping The wrong Jesus. They misunderstood him. So we're heading into Easter, and I want you to look again at Jesus. Do you see him for who he really is? We don't need to be a part of some fashionable movement. We need to go to Jesus with all of our grief, all of our sorrow, all of our wounds the full weight of our iniquities and transgressions, and we need to allow him to carry it and bear it for us. And follow him as our Lord and trust him as our Savior. That's Christianity. That's what we celebrate at Easter. Let's pray.